What are we on now? Okay. According to my watch, it is 7 o'clock even. So we are going to get started. So if you were here two months ago, we started Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. This is where we're going to start. Hopefully today, if things go well, we'll actually finish that verse. So if we do, we might even get into verse 27. So let's, um, let's read the verse. I'll give you a little bit of a, a catching up, a little bit of a summary, and then we'll kind of dive into the lesson here. So Acts 9, 26. The Bible reads, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he, cri- he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid and did not believe that he was a disciple. Okay, Acts chapter 9. If I were to ask you what's Acts chapter 9 about, what would you say? Just generally speaking. Saul's blind, road to Damascus, conversion of Saul. Okay, so what we see at the beginning of the, the chapter here is we see Saul... Saul is a Jew. Saul is a very devout Jew. Saul is persecuting Christians um, because they are trying to... Uh, he's, he's very devoted to the Jewish religion. And so you have other people who are trying to do other things religiously. Paul's persecuting those people because he's trying to maintain purity within the Jewish religion. Paul does not understand that Jesus has died, that we're under a new covenant. He doesn't understand those things at this time. Okay, now we get to Acts chapter 26. Saul is now converted. Saul has obeyed the gospel. So just think on the surface there, how different Saul's life is. He goes from being a devout Jew, following all of the the rituals, following all of the customs, and now he's a New Testament Christian. You talk about repentance, you talk about a change in life, We are seeing it. We will see it throughout the New Testament with Saul. All right. Uh, When we we talked last time, this particular verse, it says that he tried to join himself to the disciples. We talked about the fact that we don't join the church. We don't join the universal church. The Lord adds us to the universal church. How? Through baptism. Baptism. Okay? The Lord adds us to the church. Okay? That's not specifically what, what Saul is trying to do here. He's not trying to join the church. He's trying to join the local congregation there, if you will. So make sure you understand this point. We don't join the church, but we do place membership with local congregations. And that's essentially what he's trying to do. There's a lot of confusion about joining and placing membership. Why would it be significant to place membership at a congregation? What are some benefits? Yeah, so you have support of other Christians. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of like if you, if you build a fire and you take a log away from that fire and you take it away from the fire, what happens? It's going to go out a lot faster than if it's together. Uh, the heat is going to be a lot more if if we're together. We need each other. Somebody else says something? Support, absolutely. We need our brethren. We are constantly in the world every day. We're surrounded a lot of times by non-Christians, by people who think differently than we do. We need to be encouraged. We need to be reinforced uh, in our thinking. So one of the really important things about placing membership in a congregation is that we have the elders know who the members are. 
Imagine if no one placed membership, and we're in and out, and I'm at a different congregation, and I'm here and I'm there. How do the elders oversee? How do the elders know who they're, who they're protecting? Very, very confusing for the elders, right? That's just one of many problems. When we place membership, I'm not putting my name on the roll and saying I'm a member at Willow. That's not the purpose of placing membership. When I place membership, what I'm saying is I am a part, I am a member of the body of Christ at Willow. I told you guys last week that I'm an occupational therapist. My job is to analyze movement. Somebody's had a stroke, somebody's had an injury, I need to analyze their movement. Why are they having difficulty picking up a cup? Why are they having difficulty doing X, Y, and Z? And so I have to specifically think, now is it, is it shoulder? Is it sensory? Is it visual? Is it the elbow? Is it the hand? What's going on? I'm breaking that down. Well, think about it from this perspective. The elders are kind of doing that in regards to the body of Christ. I'm trying to find out what the problem is. Why are they having difficulty with this task? The elders are doing that with the body here. Why are we struggling in this area? So they're trying to hone in. Why are, why are, we're doing well in this area. What about this area? So they're trying to figure out what do we need to do to fix this, right? We, we used this analogy last week or, or two, two months ago. If a person has a stroke and they can't use a part of their body, what happens to that person? They get weaker. They get very discouraged. Very discouraged. And, and potentially. So one of the things that I hear over and over and over working with patients is it's, it's almost harder mentally than it is physically. And it's very difficult physically. Do you think members of the church ever get discouraged? Do you think the body of Christ, that there are members, there are, there are pieces of that puzzle that get discouraged? Yeah. Sometimes what I see is when somebody's had a stroke, certain muscles are not working properly. There are some muscles that work properly. The muscles that work properly overcompensate. So they work extra hard for the muscles that don't work properly. What happens to a muscle when you overwork it? It gets tired. You develop pain. You think that kind of thing happens in the church? Are there members in the church that sometimes they get burnt out? Maybe they're doing a lot of the work? Yes, just like the human body. And if you guys have ever been in one of my classes, you know that I like comments, I like questions, I like discussion. I do not like to lecture. So if you have a question, if you have a comment, just throw your hand up. We have to be careful. In order for Willow to function properly, we need the body of Christ here to function properly. We need every member to function properly. Think about if you've ever hurt your finger, if you've ever hurt your foot, if you've ever hurt some body part. Everything, everything suffers. Your performance suffers. I can't walk as quickly. My balance is not as good. Whatever it is, maybe it's just an eye. Maybe it's an ear. It affects you. It affects your performance. Same thing is true for the body of Christ. We need all members of the body of Christ to perform and to perform well and to perform together, right? Um, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 says that he is the head of the body, 
of the church. Who is this? Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. Does anyone have to tell me if my foot hurts? I'm well aware if my foot hurts. My head can process that. If Jesus is the head of the body, do you think that Jesus knows if the body's not performing properly? Do you think Jesus knows if there are issues with the body? Yeah. Jesus knows if somebody's discouraged. He knows if they're burnt out. He knows if they're weak. Jesus knows these things. We have to be careful that um, sometimes we just think that, well, somebody else will do that. The elders will take care of that. That's their responsibility. Well, that's a Bible class teacher's responsibility. Not everyone here will be a gospel preacher, and that's okay. We all have different talents. Everyone in here has something that they can offer the church. The question is, are we stepping up to the plate, and are we fulfilling our role as the member of Willow? I told you guys last time that if, if, if I'm the only guy that shows up, I'll lead singing. Otherwise, I'm not leading singing. That's not my talent. You would not appreciate me leading singing. Um, but we have people here who are talented in that area who can do that. And I'm very appreciative of that. So you might look around and you might say, well, I can't do what brother so-and-so can do. I can't do what sister so-and-so can do. But you have a talent. There's something that you can do. <clears throat> As we get further in, verse 27, we're going to talk about Barnabas and the role that Barnabas plays. The role that Barnabas plays is often overlooked. It's a very significant role, and hopefully we'll get to that tonight. So Saul is wanting to place membership here. Uh, verse 26, Saul returns to Jerusalem. It's been about three years since Saul was in Jerusalem. So I want you to put yourself in Saul's shoes, or maybe Saul's sandals. Um, you were very devout to the Jewish religion. You were persecuting Christians. You've now obeyed the gospel. You've repented. You've, you've done a complete 180. You're approaching Jerusalem, a place where you've spent lots of time, but not as a New Testament Christian. This is kind of where we ended last time. He's just escaped death in Damascus. He's coming back to a city that will no doubt have lots of memories. There'll be lots of feelings. If you're Saul and you're approaching Jerusalem, you've just escaped death, how are you feeling? Scared, yes, yes. Okay, his reputation, that's going to be a key, a key part here. You know, we think about David, when David uh, defeated Goliath, and David afterwards, he has, they have this parade for him, and everybody's celebrating, and you know, they're lifting up David, and he's wonderful, and he's great. That's not what Saul's getting here. Saul's coming back to Jerusalem. The Christians there are very hesitant. They're very reluctant to accept this guy. We know his reputation. We know what he used to do. They're very hesitant. The people he used to run with, well, now they're expecting, they, they don't understand all of this. Uh, Saul is facing a real difficult situation here. 
Imagine if you're Saul, as you approach uh, the walls to Jerusalem, and maybe as you, as you go through the city and you see the spot where Jesus was crucified, there's a mental side to all of this. There's an emotional side. Thinking that you were helping to persecute Christians, and now you, you understand it all. Now you're a New Testament Christian, and that you're, you were a part of that. Imagine passing by the spot where Stephen was stoned, where you were consenting to Stephen's death, and Stephen was trying to do what's right. Imagine, imagine what Saul must have been thinking, what he must have been feeling at this point. Imagine as he gets into the city, and he gets into the synagogue, he gets into the temple, and he starts bumping into his old, his old pals, and, you know, they want to get together and, come on, Saul, let's go do things that we used to do. Well, things have changed. I'm not the same Saul that I used to be. See, I'm a Christian now. Think about when you were converted as a New Testament Christian. And choices and decisions and, and lifestyle changes that had to take place. People that maybe you used to run with, and now they don't understand when you tell them, I can't do those things any longer. I don't live like that any longer. It's a very difficult situation. This is not going to be easy for Saul. We see that the Christians in Jerusalem are reluctant. They're reluctant to him coming home. This is significant for a couple of reasons. One reason in particular is that it shows us that it's not necessary to accept anyone and everyone into fellowship of the local congregation automatically. Now, what do I mean by that? If a person moves to the area and they come in and they say, we want to be identified as a member at Willow Avenue, is that a good thing? Yeah, sure, on the face, yeah, sure. What needs to happen, though? Yeah, we need to know who this person is. Are you a New Testament Christian? We need to hear some things. So what the elders do, and what the elders do at many congregations of the Lord's Church, is they want to meet with these individuals before they place membership. Who is this person? Think about it like this. If I go out here and I grab somebody off the street, and I bring them into the baptistry, and I dunk them underwater, are they a New Testament Christian? No. They got wet. They don't have any understanding of anything. I didn't do any teaching. All I did was just... I just dumped them. A person can be baptized and have no understanding of what they're doing. A person cannot be baptized and have no understanding of what they're doing. They have to have some teaching in place. That's why we talk about hear, believe, repent, confess. There's teaching that must take place. It might be that when I was uh, eight years old or nine years old, that because my, my best friend Bubba Joe was baptized, that I want to be baptized. I just did it because he did it, and because we're friends. So if a person comes in, I want to know, were you baptized? Why were you baptized? Do you know sometimes people don't even know why they were baptized? You'll hear people in the world today who will say, well, that's just you know, what I was told to do. There's one reason for baptism, according to the Scripture. There's one reason. It's not because I want to show people that I, I have faith in Christ and it's an outward expression. of it's, That's not what it is. According to the Bible, 
Baptism is for remission of sins. What causes a person to be lost? Sin. How do I get rid of that sin? Baptism. That's the only way I can get rid of my sin is through baptism. So if a person comes in and as we're talking, we find out they were baptized, they don't have any idea why they were baptized, well, some red flags are going up. We need to talk more. We need to study more. What about if somebody comes in and they're in an unscriptural marriage? There are a number of reasons why the elders meet with people. What if somebody came from another congregation across town and they refused to repent for some sin? The elders are meeting with these individuals because they're trying to protect the flock here at Willow. They're wanting to make sure that this person is not going to come in and harm the flock here. Do you think that's easy for the elders? Sometimes you get into some really difficult situations. And sometimes people get really upset. You know, as a member of the church, we have to have some backbone. We don't think like the world. There are denominations in the world today that might change their doctrine on all of the hot topics today. In the Lord's church, we cannot. We will not. The Bible is our authority. We cannot change how we feel about things. It doesn't matter if it's 2022 or if it's 100 years from now. It doesn't matter if the entire world, if every religious body has, has agreed to something, if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. We need to have some backbone. It's time for us as New Testament Christians to stand up and to face the world that we live in. That's not popular for people to hear these days. People don't want to be told that they're wrong. It's not me saying it. It doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. It's if the Bible says it, then that's where I have to stand on things. Sometimes in the Lord's church, we are too busy trying to blend into the world and to the religious world around us. It's time for us to stand up. We need to be loving. We should never be hateful. We should never be ugly about it. Our, just like uh, Brother Jack Honeycutt said in his lesson Sunday night, our number one goal as Christians is to save souls. That's the, that's the purpose of the church. If we have an outreach here or a program here, it should always be geared towards souls. There's nothing wrong with us getting together and eating and, and doing different things. We need to always remember that we are the light to the world, that the New Testament church is different from the religions in this world. Yes, sir. <laughs> he asked the question, why is it wrong for a Christian to dance? Uh, that's probably not the discussion for this time and place, but it's a good question. So hang on to that. Um, as New Testament Christians, we need to stand up for what's right and we need to be able to explain what we believe. Sometimes as a Christian, it will be, well, that's just the way we've always done it. Why do you partake of the Lord's Supper on every first day of the week? Well, that's just the way we've always done it. It's not a good answer. We need to understand what we believe. We need to be able to defend it from the authority, from the source of authority. Um, I've been in Bible studies before with, with people from different denominations and uh, we had, I had one guy in particular, he told me, well, 
Uh, that's just, I know it in my heart. That's what I feel in my heart. And I said, well, I know what I feel in my heart, but obviously we're different here. It doesn't matter what I feel in my heart. It really doesn't. It's what the Bible says. The Bible is our authority. Okay, back to our text. So the elders meet with people to help protect the flock. They ask some difficult questions. They want to get to know individuals. They want to know who they're allowing into the congregation. Okay? Why were the Christians in Jerusalem reluctant to accept Saul? Because of his background. What was his background? Persecuting Christians. Do you think they knew that? Absolutely. That's why they're fearful. So imagine with me, if you were to read on, in the news or watch something in the news where there is a, a person who is um, involved in some really, really serious sin, maybe, maybe killing people, whatever it is, and then that person obeys the gospel, and that person is now a New Testament Christian, and that person shows up at Willow, what should our attitude be? Okay. Would it be easy to accept them? Not always that easy, is it? It might be that, you know, there's some hesitation. But that he's going to need more encouragement now more than ever. Think about Saul. The difficulties that he's facing as he's approaching the city, he's going to need encouragement from his brethren. He's going to need support. They're reluctant. He's got to be a little bit on edge with some butterflies and some anxiety. We need to encourage people who obey the gospel, even if they're not necessarily from the same walk of life that we are. I could tell you a story about a, a man and a woman who, um, who visited the congregation that we were at several years back. He showed up. He had long hair, very long hair, tattoos, big beard, not somebody you'd want to see in a dark alley. And I went over and I met him and I, you know, hey, how are y'all? Nice to have y'all with us, all of that. Met his wife. They were nice people. And I thought, the odds of them coming back, pretty slim. He starts studying. They obey the gospel. They're both baptized. Is anybody familiar with the Fishers of Men program, the evangelism? It's a pretty intense evangelistic course. They both went through that after they obeyed the gospel. He cut his hair, trimmed his beard, still had the tattoos. These two individuals became members of the congregation there and were some of the most faithful members. They lived like an hour away from the building. They never missed an event. Never. They were at everything. You talk about involved, they were there. He is now a deacon in the Lord's church. Was I wrong when I saw them? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to be careful, brethren. We're talking about uh, Mary and I got very close with him and his wife. They were just really, really good people. Some of the best people you'd ever meet. It doesn't matter what people look like when they show up. It's what's in their heart. We need to make sure that we are encouraging them, that we are supporting them. It could be that somebody shows up for service and how I treat them may depend on whether or not they come back or not. 
I might treat them in a harsh manner, and they may say, well, this is supposed to be a loving church. I'm not coming back here anymore. Remember, we're after souls. That's, that's, our, that's our goal as New Testament Christians, is I want to encourage people who are Christians, and I want to convert people who are not Christians. I want people to go to heaven. That's what this is about. It's not about this is not a social club. We don't show up so that we can visit and, hey, how are your grandkids? And guess what grade I got in college? And those things are fine. But we're on a mission. Spiritual things first. I want my family to go to heaven. I want my kids to go to heaven. We told our kids at, a, at an early age, true success, true success is living your life and going to heaven. True success. You can get a PhD, you can cure cancer, and those things are great, but if you're not a Christian, you've missed your mark here on this earth. That's not my purpose on this earth, is to do those things. If I do those things, that's wonderful. My purpose on earth is to go to heaven, to prepare my soul for an eternity after I leave this earth. Okay, let's get back to our text here. So yes, they, they feared him as he, as he approached Jerusalem. They were reluctant to accept Saul. They had a difficult time believing that he was a, a follower of Christ. They had a difficult time believing that he was now a disciple of Christ. They remembered the violence that he used to show towards Christians. Um, even if they had heard about his conversion, there is still suspicion on their part. Sometimes uh, the same thing is true for us. Uh, think about yourself. Think about yourself. Before you were a Christian, you were baptized, you, you buried the old person that you used to be, you came up out of the water, a new creature, a new person. Think about how difficult that was for you. The things that I used to do, the life that I used to live, I don't do those things anymore. And it's not because I don't do those things because I'm not supposed to. It's I don't do those things because I don't want to transgress God's law. I don't want to disappoint God. It's not about me. It's not, well, I'm going to get caught. It's, it's a lifestyle. I'm a New Testament Christian. I see life differently. These particular individuals had a hard time believing that Saul was a disciple, that he was a Christian. Today, are there people in your life, are there people in my life that would be surprised to find out that I'm a Christian? Are there people that you work with, people that you live nearby, that would be shocked to find out he's a Christian? He goes to church? You can probably all think of people like I can. Maybe people in the past were, uh, you know, this guy over here, he's a, he's a member of the church. Really? And somehow we're shocked by that. Does our lifestyle, does our influence match up with what we claim to be? Hopefully, people would not be surprised to find out that we are Christians. Uh, verse number 27. So we did get to verse 27. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and he declared to, declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So remember, it's been about three years. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have Twitter. So it took, it took news a while to, to get to places. You know, today we have things that I can communicate on the other side of the world in just a matter of a few seconds. They didn't have that luxury. So it might have been that 
There were people who had no idea that he had obeyed the gospel. Maybe there were some who did. We don't know. The technologies that we have, we need to be using for the purpose of spreading the news. And we have various outfits that do that. We have Apologetics Press, we have GBN, uh, the Christian Courier, you name it. We need to be using those things to teach people. Use these things for what they're designed for. All right, so let's talk about Barnabas. We only have a few minutes left, but let's talk about Barnabas. How was it that he was able to convince the Jerusalem church to accept Saul? Okay. So think about that for a second. They knew who Barnabas was. He was was a member of the church there. They knew him. Do you think that speaks to his reputation as a member? Would your name carry that kind of weight? If, if, the, if, if you went to the elders and you said, hey, I know this guy, and uh, he's a good guy, and you kind of told him, would that carry any weight? Or would they think, hmm, Barnabas is a key player here. Barnabas has a good reputation. How hard is it to gain a reputation Easy to lose it. It's hard to gain a good reputation. This is not something that happens overnight. This is not something that I can have money and and, and accomplish it. This is something that takes years to develop a good reputation. We can lose it a lot faster than we can gain it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So think about you specifically. I'm going to think about myself. What's my reputation? Do people see me as uh, somebody who just likes to stir the pot and cause trouble? Does somebody see me as somebody who really cares about other people? Does somebody see me who, as um, somebody who just you know, goes through the motions? I'm here on Wednesday night because this is what I always did because my parents made me. Is that why I'm here tonight? Think about your own reputation. What makes you tick? Yeah, and there are different experiences that uh, we've had in our lives that are challenging. There are um, things that we've all done that we regret. There are difficulties that we've all faced in a variety of formats, whether it's military, whatever. All right, second bell is rung. Um, Don should be back next Wednesday. Thank you.